there's a cartoon, four frames. The first frame was a first century Christian. And this first Christian, first century Christian was praying, Dear Lord, please give me the courage to face this angry mob. The second was a Christian uh, a little while later, a, a Christian during the time of the Reformation, and said, Dear Lord, please help me to declare your truths no matter what it may cost me. The third frame was a Christian uh, pastor who said, Dear Lord, please help me to persevere faithfully even under the burdens that you have asked me to carry. The fourth frame was of an American Christian in modern day times saying, Dear Lord, the Audi's running kind of rough lately. Suffering. Anybody here like to suffer? I didn't think so. I know me, personally, I'm not a big fan of suffering. I don't like the thought of suffering. Pain hurts me. Probably hurts you too. Suffering is hard. Suffering is difficult. When we think of suffering, though, I was thinking about this this morning, that when we think of suffering... We think of things like minor inconveniences. I had really bad service at this restaurant. I had to suffer through this terrible meal. I suffer through this coworker who just bores me to tears in my cubicle. I suffer because I can't buy the latest fashions. That, that's me. <laughs> Suffering. Well, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, has in mind a different kind of suffering. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Christian suffering. Now, I know what you're thinking. Sean, we suffer every week. Maybe not. I pray that's not the case. But um, it, Suffering is a theme in 1 Peter. It begins all the way back in chapter 1, verse 6. Where Peter writes, in this you greatly rejoice, though now you, now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter writes about the trials of suffering and how because of our faith in Jesus, we may have to suffer. He was writing to a people who were suffering. They were suffering persecution at the hands of the Romans. And the Romans were good. They were good at persecution. I heard the story, I believe it was under Emperor Nero. It was either under Nero or Diocletian. Uh, I think it was Nero who would take Christians to, and use them to light his gardens. And, I, and by that, I don't mean that he would use them as the, you know, to hold up a torch. He would coat them in tar and set them on fire in his gardens so that they would be lit up at night persecution, suffering. It sounds terrible, doesn't it? It sounds absolutely horrible. The people who have come before us, Christians who have come before us and have suffered for their faith, I mean, they have really suffered for their faith. We stand in their shadow. Suffering is real. Christian suffering is hard. 
suffering for your faith is difficult. But we are told that our faith is refined and purified in the crucible of suffering. The kind of suffering we're talking about is a physical kind of suffering. Beatings, torture, death. Why? Because we dare to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Because we dare to trust and dare to believe that He is our Savior. The one and only Savior of the world. If you'll grab a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, and grab your bulletin and turn to the HDO. On the back page, you'll find the handy-dandy outline. We started calling it the HDO to save time. But grab your Bible, grab the HDO, and let's turn to the back page, and let me fill in some blanks for you. The first blank is suffering with Christ. Suffering with Christ. Look at 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There was, like I said, there was increasing persecution in Peter's day. He says, don't be surprised that you are facing these trials. Don't be surprised that you are facing these sufferings. In fact, you should rejoice in them because they purify your faith. They uh, clarify your faith. They refine your faith. They make your faith stronger. You've got to really know what you believe if you're going to suffer with Christ. And he says, don't be surprised, but rejoice. And rejoice because of the fact you're not suffering alone. When you suffer, you are suffering with Christ. You participate in his sufferings. Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That even if we suffer for our faith, the glory that is coming, the glory that will be ours when we uh, live forever with Christ, the glory will far surpass any kind of suffering this world may throw at us. In 2 Corinthians 1.5, Paul says that the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. That as we suffer, that if we are to suffer for our faith, in whatever way that may, may happen, in whatever way we may suffer for Jesus, we don't suffer alone. And I'm not talking about just suffering with one another, but rather we suffer with Christ. We participate in His sufferings. That we participate in the sufferings of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 Paul wrote, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship uh, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul wanted to suffer with Christ, to suffer in the way that Christ suffered, to participate in Christ's sufferings, and to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ is an indication of true faith in Jesus. And we're told that if we suffer with Christ, if we participate in his sufferings, we will also participate in his resurrection, that we will rise again, that no matter what the world may do to you, torture, beatings, death, 
imprisonment, fines, whatever, that it is nothing compared to the glory of the resurrection that we will participate in as well. And we're told that just as Christ suffered, so will we suffer. We will suffer as well. And just as Christ was raised, so will his people be raised. If we are participants in his suffering, if we have fellowship in his suffering, that means we are participants in the suffering that he endured. Jesus suffered in a way that none of us could ever imagine. He suffered as he went to the cross to die for our sins. He suffered as they flogged him and beat him and tortured him and spit upon him and mocked him. He suffered in his body. He suffered in his spirit. He suffered to a great degree that many of us will never know. But if we suffer, we participate in those sufferings and we are refined by those sufferings. When we suffer, our faith is proved genuine and true and we know that we have the promise the glorious promise of eternal life in his presence. The second blank on your outline is suffering as a Christian. Jesus said that we should not be surprised that we may suffer. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Matthew, uh, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice what Jesus says. Blessed are you when people insult you. He doesn't say, blessed are you if people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil about you. Blessed are you when. In other words, it's going to happen. There will be a day, there will be a time, you will be persecuted for your faith in uh, maybe a huge way, maybe in a small way. But if you are living an authentic, genuine, sold out, fully surrendered life that is dedicated and devoted to Jesus Christ, people are going to notice there's something different about them and I don't know that I like it. There is something different about them and, and I really don't like it. That if we stand out if we live a life of righteousness and holiness, if we do the right thing when everybody else is doing the wrong thing, we're going to stand out and stick out. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. The Bible is offensive to people. That's why they ban it. That's why they burn it. Because it's offensive. Because it says you should live in a way that is contrary to your sinful nature. You shouldn't do the things that you've done before, that you should be changed by the power of God and by His Holy Spirit. That living a life of sin is not acceptable for a Christian. Living a life of sin is not allowable. We will be insulted and mocked and beaten and tortured and persecuted because of Jesus' name. It goes beyond that. In Mark chapter 13, verse 13 Jesus said, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And in Luke 21, 17, Jesus said, all men will, what? Hate you because of me. That if you are devoted and dedicated and sold out to Christ, you can count on one thing. You will be hated because of him. Oh, come on now. We don't, do we have to talk about this? Can't we talk about some nice, warm, fuzzy stuff? Can't we talk about God's love and grace and how he thinks we're so wonderful and special? And, and 
Yeah, we can do that, yeah. But what happens when persecution breaks out? And it doesn't feel warm and fuzzy to be beaten. What are you going to do then? This is why I preach through a book. This is why I started 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1 and preached through the end of chapter 5. It's because we've got to deal with some of this stuff. Because I want you to be prepared. And I want to be prepared that if persecution were to break out, if, if there were uh, persecution were to break out here, even in our country, that you're prepared for it and that I'm prepared for it. Jesus told his disciples, it's not if, it's when. And that all men will hate you because of me. It reminds me of a story from Acts chapter 5. Peter and John were preaching that Jesus was the Messiah and that the Jews had killed him. And the Jews began to persecute Peter and John. They had them arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling council. It was the full assembly of all the elders of Israel. And so they're brought before the, uh, the elders of Israel. And this is what happens. They, they question them. And they tell them to stop preaching about Jesus. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. The Jews were furious. They wanted to kill him right there. And one of their own stands up and says, Nope, don't do that. If these guys are not from God, this will amount to nothing. But if they're from God, there's nothing you can do to stop them. So we read on in Acts 5, 40 and 41. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Flog is a nice way of saying that they were beaten within an inch of their lives. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And this is the crazy part, okay? This is the mind-blowing crazy part. Acts 5, 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. They left the Sanhedrin beaten within an inch of their lives. I can just imagine them like crawling out on their hands and knees, blood pouring off of them, skin ripped in shreds and tattered, and they come crawling out and they're like, yes! rejoicing we suffer for Jesus the one who suffered for us we Christians are out of our minds how would you respond Acts 5 says you know what they did after this flogging after this beating it says that they never stopped proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ day after day after day after day they never stopped proclaiming it. In the 1800s, Armenian Christians began to experience severe persecution at the hands of the Turkish Muslim government. The government lifted the ban on Muslims converting to Christianity in 1856. And then in 1864, just eight years later, they made it illegal and they began arresting these Muslim converts to Christianity. From 1895 to 1896, government soldiers killed up to 100,000 Armenian civilians in an attempt to kill every Christian with Tur within the Turkish borders. Lawyers, doctors, preachers, other intellectuals were rounded up and charged with subversion. This is gross, okay? But many had their heads taken and put in a vice and squeezed till they died. 
Then the Turkish government set April 24th, 1896 as the day to kill the rest of the Armenian Christians. Nearly 600,000 Christians died on that day. Could you imagine being at the pearly gates and 600,000 people show up at once? What in the world just happened down there? 600,000 lost their lives in one day. Some of them managed to escape. One of those escaped was a young girl, 18 years old, who stumbled into an American camp. The nurse asked her, are you in pain? No, she replied, but I have learned the meaning of the cross. The nurse thought she was mentally disoriented and questioned her further. She pulled down her shirt and on the back of her shoulder, she exposed it and there burned deeply into her flesh was the figure of a cross. I was caught with others in my village, she said. The Turks stood me up and asked me, Muhammad or Christ? I said, Christ, always Christ. For seven days they asked me the same question, and each day when I said Christ, a part of this cross was burned into my shoulder. On the seventh day they said, if tomorrow you say Muhammad, you live. If not, you die. Then we heard that the Americans were near and some of us escaped. That is how I learned the meaning of the cross. What does the cross mean to you? Do you know the meaning of the cross? Are you willing to suffer as a Christian? Because the cross equals suffering. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Take up your cross daily. What would you do? What would you do? This is serious, okay? Totally serious. What would you do if persecution broke out against Christians in our country? Oh, that'll never happen. We have the Constitution. We have freedom of religion. We're able, you know, that'll never happen here in America. You know what? We do have freedom of religion. We do. It's guaranteed by our Constitution. But you know what? I see that freedom is eroding little by little, day by day, under the guise of the separation of church and state. The government cannot endorse any religion, right? Right? The government cannot endorse any religion. But instead of not endorsing it, it chooses to eradicate it from public life. So what would happen if standing up for the truth of God's word became hate speech? What would happen if standing up and saying this is right and this is wrong became hate speech? To preach against certain sins and certain lifestyles was described as hate speech. If a church decided to refuse same-sex wedding ceremonies and said, we're not going to do it, we can't. What if that church, well, we'll start small. What if that church decided, you know, lost their tax-exempt status? What if pastors were fined for not doing same-sex wedding ceremonies? What if pastors were jailed for, for hate speech that might incite people to violence against other people? In Canada... In 2002, a pastor wrote a letter to the newspaper saying, uh, basically, uh, it was a letter against uh, homosexual lifestyle, homosexual behavior. Not homosexuals, not gays, but against homosexual behavior. Two weeks later, a gay teenager was beaten up. And because of the letter that he wrote two weeks prior, the pastor was charged with a crime of hate speech by the Alberta Human Rights Commission. This is in Canada. The letter he wrote, they said, the letter he wrote likely exposed gay people to hatred and uh, contempt. 
likely exposed two weeks later. He never advocated violence. He never called for violence. In fact, he said violence was not the way to go. Yet in 2007, five years later, after five years of litigation, he was fined $5,000 and forced to write an apology, a letter of apology. And he was told not to express his beliefs any further. The decision was reversed in 2009, but the damage was already done. Who would dare speak up for the truth of God's word and call a sin a sin? Knowing that the Alberta Human Rights Commission or whatever Human Rights Commission would say, that is a hate speech and we're going to fine you $5,000 or $10,000 or $20,000 or it's punishable up to 30 days in jail. Who would do that with the threat of persecution hanging over their head? That's just, that's just across the border in Canada. That says nothing of the tens of millions of Christians whose lives are threatened every day because they wear the name of Christ. Tens, literally tens of millions who could die at any moment because they're having a secret Bible study in their house or because they dare to stand up and pray in a public place to Jesus. The last blank on your outline is suffering according to God's will. 1 Peter 4, 17 through 19. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. To me, this is the hardest thing to swallow in this whole passage. Suffering, I understand that. I can, okay, if God calls me to suffer... I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to suffer. You want to beat me, torture me, kill me? Fine. Do it. I'll stand up for Jesus till the day I die. I, that's my prayer, that I would do that. That I would stand up until the day I die. My prayer for you is the same. But Peter here says that judgment begins with God's people. What in the world does that mean? Judgment begins with God's people? The, word, the Greek word for judge in this passage, literally means to sift. You know, you have a, any of you have a little flour sifter at home, you put flour in it, and you turn the crank or you squeeze the handle and it sifts the flour. And This literally means to sift. It's about purifying and sifting the true believers in Christ. You see, God wants to sift us. He wants to know who's on his side, who's in this thing for the long haul, who's really going to put the words, the actions to their words. But see, judgment is not reserved only for God's people. He asks the question, what will happen to the wicked and the ungodly? It's worse than death. You see, the glory on the other side, even if we were to suffer and die, even if we were to give our lives for Christ, even if we were to suffer uh, torture, uh, our families killed, tortured, the glory on the other side, the pain that they can inflict on this life, whether it be emotional or physical, the pain they can inflict on this life, on this side of heaven, is nothing compared to the glory on the other side. But for those who don't know Christ, for those who torture, for those who beat, for those who persecute, there is a fate that is worse than death. And that is eternal separation from God in hell. Judgment begins with God's people, but it is not for God's people alone. 
Is suffering a, God, a part of God's plan for his people? I believe that he says it is. Peter says that it is. And three times in the book of 1 Peter, he writes about God's will. The first time is in chapter 1. The second time, uh, the first time he talks about doing good. Uh, and uh, it, it is God's will for you to do good. The second time, to uh, suffer and do good. And the third time is to suffer. And I believe that there is a twofold purpose in our suffering. There's a twofold purpose in our suffering for Christ. One, it will purify and refine our faith. Two, uh, it will separate the pretenders from the real deal. You know, if you are threatened with suffering for Jesus, if your family is threatened for suffering for Jesus, see, I, I'll be real honest, okay? Here's a moment of total transparency. They want to torture me. They want to beat me, cut my tongue out, whatever. You know, you're not going to talk about Jesus anymore, okay? Do it. I'll suffer for Jesus. But there are people. There are people that I care about, that I love with all of this. That's where it gets hard. I don't know. I want to say that, yes, do what you have to. Do it. We'll stand for Jesus. Hurt my kid? Hurt my wife, my brothers, my sister, my family, any of y'all feel the same way I do? See, that's where it gets hard. My prayer is that it never happens to us. But Jesus didn't say, if you suffer. He said, when you suffer. It's coming. It may not be in our lifetimes. It may not be in our children's lifetimes. But the question is, the question is, how real is your faith? Is it really, really real? Do you really, really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you really believe it? Pastor Jim Dennison of Texas when he was in college, was visit, he was working at a church, doing an internship at a church in East Malaysia. While he was there, he was attending this small church. And at one of the church's services, a teenage girl came forward in order to confess her faith and to be baptized. She was going to follow Jesus. During the service, he noticed that at the back of the church, leaning against the wall, was luggage. Some worn out luggage. After the service, Dennison went up to the pastor of the church. He said, what, what's with the luggage? The pastor told Jim that the luggage belonged to the girl who had just been baptized. Her father said that if she became a Christian, she couldn't go home again. So she brought her luggage. Are you ready to pack your bags? Are you ready to pack your bags? Are you ready to count the cost? This is a serious question. Because I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't tell you that persecution will never break out in this country or around the world. I can't promise you that. But I tell you, 
be ready. Count the cost. Pack your bags. Jesus said that if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before your Father in heaven. There's coming a day, my friends, when you will not be able to straddle the fence. You will not be able to say, oh, I might believe in Jesus, or this might be true. There's coming the day when persecution will break out and you will have to be either committed or you'll have to walk away. You have got to figure out. You've got to make up your mind. Are you devoted? Are you sold out? Are you fully surrendered to who Jesus is? That's the question. And I'm telling you, you're going to hear those words from my mouth a lot. What it means to be fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. That Jesus is number one. Jesus is most important. Jesus is all we got. So will you suffer for the one who suffered for you? Even if it means you'll be hated by your neighbors, your co-workers, your government, your friends, even your family. Will you stand up? Will you make up your mind today and decide whether you will follow Jesus no matter what? Are you ready to pack your bags? Heavenly Father, I hate talking about this stuff. I'll be honest, God, I don't like talking about it at all. But Lord, Peter warns us that we may suffer for his name. We, we may suffer for Jesus' name just as Peter suffered and just as John suffered and the apostles and the Christians who have come before us persecuted by governments and other religious groups. Lord, there are people that we hear about on the news and on the internet, people whose lives are in danger. And yet we have the audacity to complain about the little inconveniences of life and their lives hang in the balance. I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world persecuted by governments and re other religions. I pray that you would protect them and help them to stand firm in the face of torture and persecution. I pray that God's persecution would not break out here. But if it does, I pray that you would give us powerful faith, sold out determination, fully surrendered and devoted to Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll help us to stand and count the cost and remain firm to the end. In the name of the one who suffered on our behalf, the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ, we pray.